It is Christmas. It is Christmas season. Uh, our Thanksgiving was good. It was a little bit different. Uh, Suzanne had the opportunity to spend some time in the car by herself. Normally when we travel together, I bring the playlist and she gets stuck listening to whatever's on my playlist. When she's driving by herself, of course, she listens to whatever she wants to. And every time I called her, as she was going down the road, it was Christmas carols all throughout the background in the car, filling up the sound of the car. In our house, we already have the tree up. We have, uh, the other day I went up and got snowmen down and various and sundry decorations. Uh, and, and meanwhile, as she is enjoying and embracing the season, I'm still mourning the loss of summer. I don't know if there's anybody here that can... Uh, that can relate to that, but lest you get the wrong idea, I love Christmas. I love Christmas. I love the trappings of Christmas, the decorations, the lights, the sense of expectation. I love the plans to see family and, of course, the increases in small kindnesses that you see and that become a cultural thing. The whole package, Christmas is appealing to me. I love the biblical story of Christmas, Zacharias and Elizabeth's unexpected blessing. Gabriel's visit to Mary, Mary's humble heart, Joseph's integrity and teachability and obedience, the story of the closed end, birth in a stable, the shepherds in their fields and the encounter with Anna and Simeon in the temple, the later visit of the Magi, the horror that was Herod, Herod, the flight to Egypt and the return to Nazareth. Every aspect foretold, every aspect important, every aspect part of God's unfolding plan, that which had been simply promise and mystery, now becomes promise kept and mystery revealed. This year, in keeping with tradition, we are celebrating Advent season at Pendleton Street Baptist Church every Sunday for the next four Sundays, the four Sundays leading to Christmas. We'll have an Advent series, a series where we focus upon this most marvelous miracle of all. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Our series this year is going to be a little bit different, though. We won't be studying from Matthew or Mark or Luke primarily. Many of you know that those three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. They they are a synopsis of the life and ministry of Christ. They share many of the accounts of Jesus' birth, life, teaching, and parables. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John. It's a gospel that is different. It was the latest written gospel. It was written about 60 years, or about A.D. 60. He records Jesus' incarnation, but... His record is distinct from the other three. One description of the difference, perhaps oversimplified, is that the synoptics focus on the signs and sayings of Jesus while John emphasizes his identity. Or, or put another way, the synoptics, the synoptics tell us what Jesus said and did. And John, he has a purpose. He, his purpose is to share with us who Jesus is, the identity of Christ. His stated purpose is, these things I have written to you that you might believe. In Jesus that you might know and believe. So our series that we've just finished on the supremacy of Christ is predicated on the truth that we'll be lear learning today. It's foundation. It is founded and established on the truth that we're focusing on that's revealed in John. The supremacy of Jesus our King is only true if He is who He says He is. If He is who He claims to be, very God in flesh. And so today, 
I wish you a Merry Christmas. It's not too early. I wish you a Merry Christmas. I'm not going to break out into song. Don't worry. But I, I do wish you a Merry Christmas. And, and I want to turn your attention today with where Christmas began. Now, where does Christmas begin? The title of this sermon is Jesus, Where Christmas Began, because part of this has to be, all right, where did, where did Jesus begin? Most of the time when we think of Christmas and the beginning of the Christmas story, we start in Nazareth, or we start in Bethlehem, or we start perhaps in the shepherd's field, or maybe even in the uh, studies or the workshops of the Magi far off in the east. But in our text today, we will learn that the real beginning of Christmas is in eternity past. And so I want to turn your attention to five simple verses, five straightforward verses that are found in the Gospel of John, the first chapter, John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Father, I want to thank you for your word and for the revelation you are giving us from the Gospel of John that you have preserved for us. And I pray, Father, that indeed you will be the teacher today, that we will have our eyes opened, that we will see more and understand more about the miracle of Christmas, the wonder of Christmas, the, the amazing reality of your eternal plan, of how you have moved and worked, and how that God became man and dwelt among us. And I pray, Father, that we will understand the implications in that for our lives and for our witness and our testimony, the lives in our families, the lives in our, of our friends and in our sphere of influence. Father, above all, we pray that you'll be pleased, that you'll be glorified in, in this service and in, in how we respond and receive your word today. I pray, Father, that you'll just be glorified in all that we do. We love you. We are so grateful. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, if you have a listening guide, you're going to find out that your, your pastor's a genius. I have given you these long, complicated sentences. No, these are very, very simple statements. And I want you to understand that these are are not wishes or guesses, and these are not simply deductions. These are simple propositional truths that tell us who Jesus is. And again, it's going to be like, oh man, this just seems so obvious. But sometimes it's not as obvious as it seems. Christmas began in eternity past, in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Just those first two verses encapsulate so much wonderful truth about Jesus and who He is. Now, understanding that Christmas, that Christ was pre-existent and eternal, is important for us. For several reasons. One of the things we need to understand is that Christmas is not plan B. It's not that God had some sort of plan and then we messed it all up and then God had to scramble around to figure out a solution for that. God has an eternal plan. He is sovereign and holy and He knows exactly what He is doing. God has always intended to dwell with His people. And the coming of Jesus in the flesh was foretold as early as the third chapter of Genesis in our Old Testament. Right after the creation 
creation story and right after the story of the fall. We have the, the first gospel, if you will, the first foreshadowing, the first indication of God's continuously revealed plan of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because it makes the statement for us, and this is the first point on your outline, simply, who is this babe in a manger? Jesus is God. Pretty simple, right? I told you I was smart. Jesus is God. Now, this is important because not everybody agrees with that. There are a lot of people who have told me Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. He did in many ways recorded throughout the gospel. We'll get to some of those in a moment. But there are a lot of people who think that Jesus was simply a prophet or that he was simply a good man or that he was simply an authoritative teacher or, and you'll hear this in, in, in seminaries even that purport to be Christian, that Jesus was our moral example. He teaches us what right and wrong is. But all of that falls short of who Jesus is and who is revealed to be in this passage of Scripture. Jesus is divine. And that's where John starts his gospel. Charles Simeon encapsulates this when he writes, What astonishing majesty and dignity are displayed in these brief but comprehensive words. The other evangelists commence their histories at the period of our Savior's incarnation, but St. John carries us back to eternity itself and informs us not only what Christ did and what Christ suffered, but who He was. We have the greatest miracle of all, the greatest wonder of all. God become flesh. Jesus, 100% God. He is God. And Jesus, man, 100% man. Now, this is not simply a simple math equation that, that we can just really grasp and get our minds about, but it is truth declared in Scripture that can and must be believed. The incarnation is the most stunning miracle. I believe in all of Scripture, the incarnation is the truth that God in the person of His Son took on human flesh and dwelt among us. It is the truth that Jesus Christ is both fully God and fully man. At the same time, without losing the distinctiveness of either nature. He is 100% divine and 100% human. He shares the same nature as God the Father, fully God. And He shares the same nature as you and I, yet without sin, fully man. This is the stunning truth of the incarnation of the Son of God. It's an amazing truth. He took on human flesh. If He did not, there would be no gospel. There would be no payment for sin. Why? Because there would be no one able to perfectly live righteously to satisfy the righteous requirements of God, and then to pay the penalty for those of us, all of us, who are unrighteous and unable to satisfy the righteous requirements of God. Only someone with our human nature could possibly stand in our place. This is what Hebrews chapter 2 is about. He, he became as the children to live perfectly and then to be our substitute on the cross. Without the incarnation, without the truth that God became man in the person of Jesus, we have none of these things and there's no gospel. And so, not only is the incarnation stunning, it is precious. Our Advent candle today is the candle of hope. Were there be no word there, no incarnation. If Jesus is anything less than God, there's no hope. If Jesus is anything less than God Himself, there is no hope. But how many of you would say, well, everybody knows that Jesus is God? Or at least gives the nod to the fact that Jesus is God. Well, when you have time, don't do it right now, Google. Who is Jesus? 
And you're going to find a wide variety of opinions of who Jesus is. I will tell you that one of the things that Wikipedia says, of course, an excellent source of authority, I don't recommend that you... (laughs) But Wikipedia says, Jesus is a religious leader, revered in Christianity, regarded by most Christians as the incarnation of God. Now, I would... I have... a lot of issues with that statement, but I will tell you that if you don't believe that Jesus is the incarnation of God, you probably shouldn't carry the title of Christian, regarded by most Christians as the incarnation of God. He's called a miracle worker and a commandment giver. You know the Jehovah's Witness say that Jesus is not equal with God. Jesus is not God. Jesus is a inferior is inferior to God. He is the firstborn of God. It, it's basically the reiteration of the heresy of Arianism that was addressed early in church history. The Mormon religion relegates Jesus to something other than God. They believe that God the Father is greater than Jesus. He holds a subservient view and that Jesus was simply the firstborn of God and is thus an elder brother to all Humanity, again, a subservient view of Christ. Islam does not say that Jesus is the Son of God, but simply a prophet, one of the prophets. But most of the people we know believe Jesus is God, true or false? I'll wait. True or false? Do you think most of the people, you know, really embrace the fact that Jesus is God? I will tell you that uh, I did some research. George Barna was trying to find out what Americans believe about Jesus. And David Kinnaman, who is now the president of the Barna Group, directed the national study and says there isn't much argument about whether Jesus Christ actually was a historical person. 83% of, America, of Americans confirm that Jesus was a real person and that he was a religious leader. But nearly everything else about his life generates enormous and sometimes rancorous debates. And here was the summary of his study. He said, Americans' dedication to Jesus is in most cases a mile wide and an inch deep. We like Jesus. We just don't follow him. We like Jesus as long as we can define him. Some of us like little baby Jesus in the manger. Ricky Bobby. To quote that theologian. Some of us, our favorite Jesus is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Some in the miracle working Jesus. Some of us, our favorite Jesus is the teaching Jesus who spoke with authority. But all of those are simply aspects and subservient aspects to the reality that Jesus is God. That he is the divine, co-equal with the Father, of the same nature and of the same essence, and yet distinct from. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, a distinct being, distinct essence, uh, distinct personality. And the Word was God, equal with God in nature. This mystery called the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Homoousius, of the same essence with God. Jesus is God, and yet... We have a lot of people who will give a head knowledge to that, but no idea of worship or of relationship or of bowing the knee or of recognizing Jesus as king. And I want to tell you, I'm, I kid my wife a lot about Christmas music. I do love the hymns and I love the carols and I love some Christmas music. But I have a hard time 
with some Christmas music. And, and, and I'll tell you why. And this is not just personal opinion and emoting about Christmas music. But there's a band that I really love their music. They sing five-part harmony. And their vocals are great. And they will tell you, and have told us, in their Christmas albums, they put out their third album this year, that they love Christmas and all that goes along with Christmas. It's, it's pentatonics, if you, in case you're wondering who I'm talking about. And they, they sound great. I'm going to tell you, their vocals, I think, are outstanding. And their music overall is outstanding. But there's no evidence that they're singing from a heart that is in any way connected with this God of all eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying? We like Jesus, and we like Christmas. And I'm not slamming pentatonics. I just told you I love their music. But they don't profess to be anything other than that. And yet, as long as we like Him, and as long as we can relegate Him to this aspect of our life or this season of the year, everything is okay. And I want you to tell you that they are characteristic of most of North America. We may give some sort of assent that Jesus claimed to be God or that Jesus was God, but we have lost the reality that we have a holy God who loves us and became flesh and dwelt among us. We're going to see that in just a moment. Are we read it already? When it says He came into His own and His own received Him not. Or the light shone in darkness and the darkness did not apprehend it or did not comprehend it or did not uh, overcome it. And so we need to understand the significance of the fact that Jesus is God. And just to draw that out a little bit, in the beginning was the Word. John waits to reveal the name of Jesus till he gets further down in the passage. Much like the revelation of Jesus throughout Scripture is kind of continually increasing. God continues to speak to His prophets and continues to make these claims. And then Christ shows up on the scene. And so John calls Him, first of all, the Word. The Greek word that's used there for Word is logos. Logos. And it means word. Uh, Calvin translates this as speech. In the beginning was the speech. It, it means word. It means message. The, the Greeks had this whole philosophical mindset of the highest rational principle, uh, which was in Greek philosophy. And it means uh, wisdom or even the mind of God. What we need to grasp this morning is that at the very least, attributing to Jesus the title Logos tells us that in Him... All the fullness of the attributes of God are on display. He is God manifest in the flesh. When we say word, that seems passive. It's just a word. But the word of God is not. It is the word of God that acts. You remember even in creation, how did God create? And we'll see more about that in just a moment. But He spoke a word and things came into being and it was good. It encompasses not just speaking, but the demonstration of that which is spoken. You guys remember the phrase... Um, the uh, the medium is the message. Have you guys ever heard that? The medium is the message. Uh, it, it's another way of saying the Word became flesh. The message, the medium, the communication of God is in the Lord Jesus Christ. He was with God and was God. Distinct and the same. And so we've got the fullness of the attributes of God on display in Jesus. And I'm going to take us to two other passages of Scripture really quick to, to kind of nail this down. And there are several throughout Scripture that reiterate these same truths. But I want to look at Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. And so make a note, Colossians chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 1. When Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, he begins his letter by focusing upon eternal truth and focusing their attention upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at verses 
15 and 16, and he continues this whole passage, but in the interest of time, we'll look at 15 and 16 and then jump down to verse 19. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, in describing the Lord Jesus Christ, here's what Paul calls him. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. The Greek word there is icon. He is the body. He is the display. He shows you the God who you could not otherwise see, the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And what does that mean? For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And so this is, again, a parallel to what the gospel, what St. John wrote in the prologue or the beginning of his gospel that we've just read. And it kind of culminates in this passage down in verse 19. In Him, our statement, Lagos means, in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The preacher who wrote Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 1, refocuses on that same truth, or, or begins speaking to the Jews that same truth. He begins in verse 1, Long ago and at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And now he talks about the incarnation. In these last days, He, God, has spoken to us the Word. He has spoken, you get this, right? Logos, His speech to us is how? By His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom, also back to Creator, He created the world. He is, listen to this description of Christ, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Again, the word of His power. If you come back down to John chapter 1, just jumping around a little bit, but again, here's the emphasis that we have. In John chapter 1, what does He say? The word in verse 14, He kind of culminates this passage, this description of Jesus, and He says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Whose glory? The glory of God. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. The glory of God on display in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's God. He's God. The wonder of Christmas is not from tradition, generosity, or even some sort of magical experience. spirit attached to the season. When we speak of Christmas, of uh, the wonder of Christmas, we're speaking of something far greater. We're speaking of those things, of the wonder. We're speaking of the wonder of the incarnation of God. Not a myth, not, a, not just some sort of story to make us feel good and warm, but the reality and the truth that the Father sent His Son to be born as a baby. The wonder of Christmas is the wonder of the incarnation of the Son of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and He was in the beginning with Him. And then verse 3, all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Now here comes your second deep profound point on your outline. Jesus is Creator. Jesus is Creator. We just read that in Hebrews chapter 1. We just read that in Colossians chapter 1. And here, Paul is, um, uh, John is making this vast statement. Uh, when he says, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Paul, of course, writing to the church at Corinth, reiterates this. He says, there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, 
and for whom we live. One God the Father. And then he goes on and says, but there is, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came, and through whom we live. Why does it matter that Jesus is the creator? Why does it matter? It matters for a lot of different reasons. Uh, first of all, it simply matters that there was a creation. I want you to understand that. It matters that there was a first man and a first woman, Adam and Eve. And there was not a succession of people leading up to them. It matters that we didn't happen this as some sort of universal accident. But there is a divine actor, an eternal God, who spoke all that is into existence. It matters because Jesus is on the same footing with the Father here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal, distinct personalities, distinct expressions of the Godhead. And yet, equally God. And He is the agent of creation through whom all things were created. One of the things it tells us, again, this is a no-brainer if you believe point one. If you believe Jesus is God, Jesus wasn't created. He is eternal. He is preexistent. He always has been. And He always will be. It is further important because it establishes His right to rule. He made us. He's the boss. He's sovereign. He's our creator. He gets to tell us what to do and what not to do. He gets to be the creator, the owner, the master. Everything belongs to Him as creator. And as creator... Here's a great truth. He knows what's best for His creation. Now, don't you love it when your parents, as you were being raised, told you they knew what was best for you and you didn't? It's Christmas time. I don't know what happens in your family. In my family, as kids, we made Christmas lists. Do y'all make Christmas lists? No? Yeah? Some of you do? Nowadays, it's kind of like Amazon wish list. Send it to me. That'll take care of it. When I was a kid, there was no Amazon wish list. It was a piece of paper and a pencil, sometimes a crayon, depending upon what age we were. And it was a piece of paper. Or, when I was a kid at Moakes Creek, we would get a catalog from Sears. And we would go through, and my brother would have one color crayon, and I would have one color crayon, and my sister would have one color crayon, and my little sister was a baby, so we just didn't even give her the catalog. And we would color code what we wanted for Christmas. And we would make our list. Did any of you ever get everything that was on your list? And some of you may have. I don't know. In my family, no. It was pretty selective. And part of the reason it was selective is because mom and dad would say, Yeah, you shouldn't have that. This is not a good choice for you. This is not a good decision for you. I know what's best. And this is not best. And so we were told no by those who knew us and who knew better. Our Creator God knows us best. He created us. There's not, Listen, we don't even know the condition of our own hearts. Jeremiah says the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We can't know it. But then he goes on to say, but God, our God who created us, who knows all things, He knows our hearts and He knows what's right and He knows what's best. And if I can just throw this out there, one of the things... I, I had the privilege uh, now, again, it, it kind of waxes and wanes, but I've had a, a lot of opportunities recently to talk to people who don't go to church and don't want to go to church. 
who either because of a bad experience or because presuppositions or whatever, they, they just have no interest in God or the things of God. And one of the things that I've heard is, you Christians just can't do stuff. You can't party, you, you can't do this, and you can't do that, and I'm not going to be too explicit on Sunday morning. But let me, let me tell you that, that the reason God gives us prescriptions and prohibitions, and you know what I'm talking about, prescriptions, thou shalt. Prohibitions, thou shalt not. Yes? So the reason God gives us prescriptions and prohibitions is not because he wants to deprive us of things, but because he knows what's best. He designed us. He knows what works best. He knows what functions best, what flows best. And again, I will tell you the prescriptions and prohibitions are for believers as a way for us to give glory to God, but they describe righteousness and life as God intended before the fall. And we'll come back to that in just a moment. But He is our Creator, and that affirms the fact simply that He's the boss. He is the Lord. This affirms and reiterates His deity, and it should clarify in our thinking the simple and yet profound truth that Jesus is the Lord of all creation, and He's trustworthy. We can trust Him. He knows just what His creation and His people need. He knows the things that cause harm and pain, and He knows those things that bring joy and peace, and we can trust in Him. And as we read in Colossians earlier, He is not only the Creator of all things, He is the sustainer of all things. In Him, all things hold together. In Him, all things hold together. And I want to take us to the third point. And all of that was really introduction for this, but this is the fun part. Verse 4 and 5 of John chapter 1. Just starting over. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He is divine he is god he is creator let's go on in him was life and the life was the light of men the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it when i first began and we'll come to that last phrase in just a few minutes but when i first began this message i talked about the importance of the fact that god is always intended to dwell with his people this passage is further important because it reveals and emphasizes that god does not change his intent has never changed his love for us has never changed we certainly remember that god walked in the garden in the cool of the day now that's recorded in genesis chapter 3 and he wasn't fellowshipping with adam and eve adam and eve were hiding from him at that point but we know that god dwelt with adam and eve that he interacted with adam and eve in the garden And we embrace the promise of John's vision in Revelation that the New Jerusalem, in the, in the New Jerusalem, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Revelation 21, 3. The challenge with this statement that God intends to dwell with his people, at least on the surface, is what happened between the garden and the New Jerusalem. In the garden, you had unmarred fellowship with God. In the Jerusalem, you have unmarred, unbroken fellowship with God. What happened in the middle? We call it by various terms. We call it the fall. We call it the sin problem. It's rebellion, disobedience, death. You remember? You remember. God told Adam and Eve, all these trees, you can have them all. Except for one. Except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That one's not for you. They were tempted, and they rebelled, 
and they sinned. In the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. What is Jesus called here? He's called life. He's called light. Jesus is life and light. Why do we need life? Because we died in Adam. This is what Romans chapter 5 is about. You guys that are in Sunday school, you're going to love this chapter when you get to that. I don't know if you've gotten to Romans chapter 5 yet or not. It's not yet, but it's coming. Right? <laughs> all right, good. You're going to love this passage of Scripture because you see how in the first Adam we all fell, but in the second Adam there is redemption and there is hope. The second Adam being the Lord Jesus Christ, this deity, this God become flesh that we're talking about right now. They ate, they sinned, they died. And as by one man sin entered the world, so death has passed on to all men, for all have sinned. Paul describes it like this. The wages of sin is... You may complete the sentence. The wages of sin is... Death. I know we don't like it, but it's true. We've got to know it. The wages of sin is death. In Ephesians, when Paul was talking to those who have been brought to life, the first things he says, and you hath he quickened or made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Isaiah 59 verse 2, when he's talking to Israel and he's talking about the reason they're not having a relationship with God, he says, your sin has separated between you and your God. And those who are dead need life. And He is life. In Him was life. He brings life. His life. Why do we need an incarnation? Because we are dead and need to be brought to life. Why do we need light? Because we are in darkness. The need for light is described because the sinful world is continually described as darkness. In John 3, we're told men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. In Ephesians 5, Paul makes this statement, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And he exhorts us to walk as children of light. In Colossians chapter 1, our salvation, we're described as being rescued from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of His beloved Son. And in John chapter 8, where Jesus is preaching to the crowds, He spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So, if the problem is death and darkness, what is the answer? The, pro- the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Jesus is light in life. It's very simple. Again, this is not, it's important. It's important. I want you to know that we have a Creator God who is holy, perfect, and pure. And according to our text today in the testimony of Scripture, His name is Jesus. Now, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in the process of creation. But He is called the Creator. Without Him was nothing made that was made. And He's holy and He's pure. And God intends to dwell with His people. God loves us. And His love for us is unfailing and unchanging. And has been from the beginning. And when... We fell when we rebelled against God and we inherited the nature of Adam and in Adam we died. And when we willfully disobey God and we turn our back upon God and break the law of God, the consequence is that we live in darkness and we're spiritually dead, separated from God. And I will tell you, I believe that the, as, as a holy God, when we talk about the mercy of God, for God to be holy and for God to be just, He has to punish sin. He has to sin. There has to be consequences for sin. And the consequence of sin is laid down is death. And so, for God to be just, He can't just wipe it away 
without provision being made. And so we have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten Son of God. We're going to see next week He came to His own and His own received Him not. Later we'll see in verse 12, As many as received Him to them, He gave the power to become the sons of God. Those who were called upon His name. It's an amazing glorious story of truth. But the gospel is that we have a holy God. But we are separated from Him by sin, death and darkness. But God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, life and light. And when we respond to Him in repentance and faith and place our trust in Him, then He makes us new, makes us into something that we've never been before. Hey guys, that's what the baby in a manger is all about. That's what the sinless life is all about. That's what the death on the cross is all about. That's what the resurrection in the empty tomb is all about. And so this Christmas, we want to look at the beginning of Christmas that is Christ. From everlasting to everlasting, from eternity past through eternity future. An unchanging and faithful God who is God, who is creator, and who is light and life. And I don't want you to miss Christmas. This, this weekend has been a, a, a really interesting Thanksgiving for me personally. It's been a good one for my family. I want you to understand that it's been good. But it's been unusual. Thursday, I got to go see my mom and my dad and my siblings and many of their kids and grandkids. And it was just a great time of fellowship. My nuclear family, my family, I was here in Anderson with mom and dad. My wife got a chance to go to Mississippi and see family, her brother and sister and their families. And it was a great time. Um, and then everybody else was kind of scattered. Got kids in Malden, kids in Knoxville, kids in Michigan. Okay, and so we're all different places. But Saturday, I got to go see my mom's family. My mom is one of five children. Her dad was Thomas, and her mother's Martha McRae. Uh, and they were raised, mom and her siblings were raised in King Street, South Carolina. You guys know where King Street, South Carolina is? Okay, it's, it's not that important. It's kind of in the low country. Brown's Barbecue. Does that ring any bells? All right. If you're a barbecue guy, you need to find Brown's Barbecue in King Street, South Carolina. At any rate, that's where they were raised. And so we got to spend time together. And I saw cousins I haven't seen in 20, 25, 30 years. And it's amazing to me how old they got. I just can't. No, it was really great to connect and to reconnect. And we were sitting around and we were talking about memories and we were thinking about memories past and what it was like. Because when we were kids, we lived away and we would come home for Christmas and we would go sometimes to mom's house first and then to dad's family in Kannapolis, North Carolina. That's another illustration for another day. But we would go to King Street where mom and then when we go to Papa and Mama's house, Thomas McRae's house, and, and we would play with all the cousins. And I was reminded through some of our remembrances about one of our Christmases back then. We always do the fun stuff when we get together for Christmas. We'd shoot fireworks at night and do the sparklers just because it was fun. And we'd sometimes stay over New Year's. But we would go horseback riding sometimes. We would play in, in the barns that were there. We would go hunting. They would load up about eight cousins with shotguns and send us out into the field. Can you believe that? And we would try to spook up quail or rabbits. It was not safe to be where we were. But we all survived. And we had a great time. And I was thinking back through those memories. There was a little small bedroom at the back of the house. And we would, that place would be packed with kids. And 
uh, Snoopy's Christmas and all that sort of stuff would be going on. Just fun memories of, of, of life. And I remembered one time when my cousins who lived right down the road got a mini bike for Christmas. And the big treat that Christmas was we got to ride the mini bike. <laughs> and that was going to be a blast. And so we went over to their house. We got three cousins in that family, Dean, Michael, and Andy. And they had the mini bike out there and they were riding around. And Mark and I were there and we were chomping at the bits to get on. And that was going to be the big treat this Christmas. But the helmet wasn't there. They left the helmet somewhere else. And so mom and dad said, you guys cannot ride this until the helmet gets here. So you can't ride it right now. But they were. And they were riding it around. I'm talking about, you know, they've been riding it around this massive big yard. But they just started riding it around in that little area. And, and, and one of them asked me, or I bullied my way forward. I'm not quite sure how it works. But I remember sitting on that mini bike waiting on the helmet. Now, can I tell you, if you're going to wait on the helmet, you should not go ahead and sit on the mini bike. I'm just going to lay that out for you. And I'm sitting on the mini bike, and I got the, the throttle going, and I thought, well, they drove around in a circle. I can drive around in a circle. And I just kind of drive around in a little figure eight, and that figure eight got bigger and bigger. And the next thing I know, that throttle was wide open, and I was down the road. And I rode out there for a few minutes, and I made it back, and my dad was standing on the porch. <laughs> Let's just say it was not a glorious homecoming. Son, get off the bike now. And of course, you know, fear and trembling. I'm just going to be honest. Fear and trembling. I, I was not sure what was coming. But Dad said, I hope you enjoyed that because that's it. They're going to be riding that mini bike all afternoon. Not you. He actually gave me a choice. He said, you can ride the mini bike a little bit more and I'll spank you tonight. Or you can just not ride. And that was your only ride. And I opted to not ride. I don't know if you... <laughs> Let me just say there are good reasons for that. Okay, it was, the, it was the right choice. But I disobeyed and I lost the privilege. Now, I got to tell you, it wasn't a bad Christmas. And it wasn't a sad Christmas. But that memory stands out in my mind. And I use it to illustrate this truth. A lot of people are going to miss Christmas. And they're going to miss what Christmas is all about. And they're going to miss it because they don't acknowledge that we've got a God who is our creator God, who knows us best, who has established right and wrong, and, and whose law we violate. And they just kind of thumb their nose at righteousness and even at God and who He is, denying who He is in their presence in their life. And they're all about the temporal pleasures, what I can get away with, what pleases me, what satisfies me here and now. It's about life upon this earth. And sometimes when they think of God, they think of Him as mean dad on the porch, simply telling me what I cannot do, trying to deprive me of my pleasures, rather than a loving Father whose mercies are new every morning, who forgives and offers grace to thousands, but will not forgive the wicked and will not fail to judge the unrighteous, but who has made a way for us to know Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. And going their own way and thumbing their nose at God, they're going to miss eternity with Him. They're going to miss life. They're going to miss light. This is the culmination of this revelation of who Christ is. At least to this point, He is life. And He is light. And He is life eternal. And He is light that is not overcome by darkness. That last phrase, the darkness overcame it not. ESV says overcame. King James Version says comprehended. ASV says 
apprehended it not. That, that whole point is one of three things. It is that um, the light could not be understood, and so it, it, it becomes illumined to us by God when He turns the light on. Or it cannot be conquered. Nothing can squash that light out. Or, or it can't be overcome. Or it, it, it cannot be defeated. Or it's light that was not apprehended. It's light that was not received. Light that was not grasped. And that's what the next verse is. He came into His own in His own received him not. And there are people who are going to miss Christmas. And I hope it's not you. I'm afraid that in some cases it will be. There, there are people who are going to miss Christmas because they've never received that light. They've never come to the place of illumination, understanding, and empowerment where they are the recipient of grace in themselves. I know Jesus. I like Jesus. Keep Him at Christmas and Easter. Keep Him at arm's length. Keep Him over there. He doesn't get to tell me what to do with no acknowledgement of who Jesus is or what He has done. And this is where the illustration breaks down. If I would have done what was right, I could have enjoyed that. None of us can do what is right in our own flesh. That's why we need somebody who did everything right, who lived as us, yet without sin. The life that he lived in righteousness can be applied to you and can be applied to me when we come to him in repentance and faith. And wouldn't that be a Christmas gift? So that's the invitation. That's the, that's the end of this message. Have you received the life of Christ? The light that shone in darkness and that darkness could not quench. Have you apprehended it? Is that light part of your life? Have you come to Christ in repentance and faith? If you haven't, that will be the best thing you could do this Christmas or any time. And today is the day of salvation. Do not delay. The second question is, we have this light in earthen vessels. Second Corinthians chapter 4. Yeah, the world is blinded. Yes, their eyes are darkened. But we have the light. We have this light in earthen vessels. God has placed this, this glorious light within you and me in order that it may shine out. Will you talk to someone about Jesus this Christmas? About the real meaning of Christmas? Will you speak gospel into someone's life? Will you allow your... I mean, I'm... Sometime during this Christmas season, we're going to sing Go Tell It on the Mountain. I'm going to tell you, go tell it down the street. Go tell it down the hall. Go tell it at work. Shout it from the mountaintops of who Jesus is, why he came, and why it matters to the person that you're talking to. Isn't God good? He is good indeed. Father, thank you. Thank you for the revelation that you have given us in John. Thank you for this different approach to looking at Christmas, the eternity past beginning, that Christmas begins in, in Christ, and Christ is eternal, and He is faithful, and He is unchanging. And Your purposes are unchanging. And Father, You in, the, in Christmas have achieved, accomplished the greatest miracle of all, God become flesh, in order that we might be made right with God that we might experience the mercy of God, that we might abound in the grace of God. So will you, this year, allow us to be those who proclaim the light and life of our Lord Jesus Christ? Father, if there's one here who has never come to you in repentance and faith, one who has been heading their own way, doing their own thing, uh, just just completely in darkness. I pray that now you will, through your Holy Spirit, turn the light on, convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. 
and draw them to yourself. In your name I pray these things. Amen.